And we walked around and he's like, hey, I've always thought about doing an event. Let's have an event here. And I go, okay, cool. Like what? He was like a competition, kind of like he said, the Woodstock of fitness. That summer, 2007, we had the first CrossFit Games. This year, I think we had around 300,000 people compete online, and then those are all whittled down to the top 40 men and top 40 women at the CrossFit Games. You know, I've had people accuse me of, oh, you're trying to make it like Buds. I've never tried to make it like Buds. A day at Buds is much harder than a day at the CrossFit Games. They're doing things that no one at Buds could do. So it's very different. We're ultimately trying to test fitness, not trying to make people completely break down mentally, but if they do break down in the test, that's kind of an added benefit, but not the intention. I would love to tell the whole story at one point, but... Um, Maybe when you don't work for him. Maybe when yeah, you get exactly. fired again. When I get fired again, <laughs> then I'll tell the whole story. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast. He spent 12 and a half years on active duty as a U.S. Navy SEAL at SEAL Team 4 and SEAL Team 8, and then a follow-on Special Operations Unit after that. He spent the last 17 years, most of which as the director of the CrossFit Games with CrossFit. He is the curator of TDC hunts, <laughs> or the Dave Castro hunts, uh, which we'll get into. And he's also been spearheading an Army engagement project, which we're going to get uh, some details on here uh, in just a bit. His last name causes more problems at TSA than a vibrating clock with wires coming out of my luggage. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to the stage, Dave Castro. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Dude, thanks for coming. We've been talking about this forever. Uh, I was trying to thank uh, Zach, the producer, actually asked me how long it had been. Since, I think it's been like 15, 16 years probably since we've seen each other. I don't know. Did we see each other after Bud's? Yeah, it was, uh, there was a couple, you clearly don't remember. Uh, <laughs> I was a, an SQT instructor and you, uh, you did like a kettlebell tutorial, if you will. Like you and I spent uh, a workout in, uh, in the open bay at, at SQT and you were trying to unfuck my, oh, my right. kettlebell okay. training. But so. you weren't, you weren't SQT when I was SQT. No, uh, at that point I, I had moved over to, uh, to the bud side. It was yeah. after I fucked my lungs up and okay. so I, I had just gone to the, uh, level one, sir, this was like 2004, um, you know, up at, at uh, Santa Cruz and had come back and was fucking kettlebell swings all up. And so, you know, you had gotten pretty heavy into it and I had just done that and then hadn't done shit since then. And so I was doing swings in, uh, in the SQT bay for some reason. And you're like, dude, fucking let, Jesus Christ, let me That's show right, you. That's right, I do remember that. Yeah, but that was, like I said, 04, 05, maybe 06. But uh, so yeah, it's been a solid yeah, 15, a 16, 18 years. I can't do any fucking math. Uh, why do you have? Why do you follow zero people on uh, on Instagram? Is it because you don't want to have a feed to look at to distract you? So on the big account, my the Dave Castro account, I was a slow adopter to Instagram relative to at the time all the other CrossFitters and the CrossFit uh, the corporation. I was having a big Instagram account, and a lot of my friends having Instagram. I fought going on social media for a number of years, and I didn't want to get sucked into the rabbit hole that is social media and Instagram at the time and, and let it consume my life. Yeah. So when I decided to, and this was maybe 14 or 15, I don't remember exactly what year, but when I decided to start the Dave Castro Instagram account, I set a few rules for myself to kind of just like ease my way in. 
And one of the rules was I was not going to um, follow anyone. And the second rule was I wasn't going to comment ever <laughs> on anyone's posts, on my posts. I just wasn't going to yeah. comment. And to this day on that account, I've, I've have not commented anywhere and I've not followed anyone. Oh, sure. And so, yep. So anywhere on social media in the, in the social media world, other than, so I've tweet, I have a Twitter now too. I've tweeted things out. I don't consider that a comment, but I'll never comment on Twitter either. Yeah. And so across all platforms, I don't comment. Eventually years later, I started a different account, a smaller account to highlight my uh, firearms and my hunting and my shooting endeavors. And that was the TDC hunts account. And there I started following people. Yeah. So I broke the follow rule for that account. It's a much smaller account, but on my big CrossFit account, didn't follow anyone. And still, even with the other account, still haven't commented yeah. anywhere. <laughs> There's been plenty of times where I've read comments or I've wanted to comment yeah. and I've stopped myself. I and, can uh, imagine. Yeah. yeah. It's a fucking rabbit hole for sure. I mean, is that something that people ask you all the time? Like, why the fuck don't you follow anybody? Yeah. Some people get really like, they're like, oh, you're such an asshole. Like, who do you <laughs> think you are? You're yeah. so cool. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. Try to be cool. It was definitely, definitely like a I want to say like, um, maybe I did in the beginning do it to try to be a little like, yeah. uh, like, fuck you. Like, yeah. I don't need to follow. Anyone. I don't follow you. You follow me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, people always mention it, yeah. but have you, has anybody ever like either tried to do a bet with you or if they win the bet, you have to follow them or, or tried to bribe you to follow them? A lot of people ask me to follow them. Like yeah. my friends and stuff, they'll be like, Hey, follow me for a day. And I'm like, no dude, I'm not doing it. <laughs> That's awesome. What's funny though, what I've accidentally, uh, because I don't follow anyone, when you see a one there, everyone notices. So I've surfed Instagram left and then I've had someone contact me and been like, Hey dude, you're following some hot chick from, <laughs> from wherever. I'm like, what do you mean? And like, I must've just been looking at an account and accidentally yeah. hit the follow button yeah. and people will contact me cause they see the yeah. one. They're like who the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I've done that before. I accidentally followed people, um, doing the same shit, scrolling through or whatever. But, uh, what's something that you do for fun that you've never posted on any social media? Well, uh, time with my family. Yeah. So like a lot of the time, so another rule I had when I started in, or started going on social media, and actually this even goes further back when I started working for CrossFit, um, keeping, and it was easy for me to do because of all my Navy time, all of the time in the profession we had, but keeping things kind of separate. And so, um, once I started working for CrossFit and getting more popular and, um, having cameras around and that sort of thing going on. I just said, I'm going to keep my family completely out of all of this. And, and I think it was cause even early on when I started gaining popularity in the community, seeing how mean people could be yeah, and seeing how like people would take attacks at me. And I'm like, I'm not subjecting my family to any of that. Yeah. And so the, a lot of the things I do with my family, spending time with them, um, shooting with my daughter. There's, there's a lot of joy I get in all of that, that I don't share at yeah. all. Yeah. And I'm, so I'm right there with you. I do the same shit. Keeping that part, keeping things private in our lives is healthy as people like us become more, um, figures in communities. It's uh, I think it's totally healthy. I've, I actually, I think, um, some of the people within our own community who highlight their families so much and their children, I worry about that. I, because the, when you get to a point where you can go out somewhere and someone can recognize your kids and you're not with them. Yeah, it's a problem. That's a problem. Yeah. 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 I, I don't like that. Yeah. I get recognized out all the time, which is fine and I can handle it. I would hate for that same burden 
to be on my children. Yeah. And again, in this, this situation where I'm not with them. Yeah, no, that's for sure a, a good and healthy boundary, no doubt about it. Uh, do you have a favorite gun? If you had to pick one gun that you own, that's your favorite. That's a great question. I, um, it depends on what I'm shooting at the time. Like I have, I'm very much, like I compete a lot and I hunt, but mainly compete more than I hunt. And so I have weapons that I'm training with for that competition. Yeah. And so and in those moments, if it's, if I'm, I have a long range competition coming up, it's my six millimeter Creedmoor bolt gun. If I'm focused on pistol shooting, it might be my 2011, um, and if I don't have a use for a gun, I like rotating guns out. I like selling guns. I like getting rid of guns. I'm not a collector of just cool guns. I like having guns that I'm using for specific hunts or specific competition competition needs or styles. So I don't necessarily have a favorite gun. I don't have any problem, you know, upgrading to the next yeah. or moving guns around. I don't get too connected to them, but I um, I do have actually. This could be a favorite. One of my original 226s yeah. that I got as a new guy in, in um, it wasn't an issued gun, obviously. We, we weren't able to keep those. Um, another team guy who was kind of like my sea um, daddy at the time, he was selling his 226. And so in 99 or so, I bought it from him and I still have that. And it's got thousands of rounds to it and it's old and it's, it's cool because of where it came from. Yeah. And actually, I have a couple of my dad's revolvers, a Colt. Uh, Colt Python stuff that he had when I was a kid growing up. So those guns are kind of collect. I collect those and those are mean something extra special to me. Sure. But in terms of my work competition guns and hunting guns, I'm pretty just whatever. Yeah. Just yeah, whatever. Whatever's going on. Do you have a, uh, and I know even this depends on weather and you know, what environment you'd be in or, or whatever, but like kind of a, a general purpose favorite carrying pistol. Yeah, I think that now nowadays it'd be the the Sig P um, three sixty five. Yeah, um, I because I like the small size. I don't carry a lot. I have. I know you guys here in Texas. You guys, I got one shoved up my ass right now. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm in California, so it's a little different. Carrying there is obviously. Um, I do have concealed carry permit in really? California. Yep, dude, who did you blow to get that? <laughs> <laughs> I live in, so there's this map, uh, you could Google it, it's called the California Concealed Carry Permit Map, and basically it has all the counties in California in different colors, and if the county's in red, there's no way you're ever going to, they just don't give concealed carry permits. If it's in green, they give them out, and so basically you look at San Diego County, red, LA County, red, uh, Santa Clara County, all the Bay Area counties, they're all red. And then everything outside of those, they're yellow or green. Where I live in Monterey County happens to be rural enough that the sheriff there gives out um, concealed carry permits. Is it statewide? Yeah, and oh, it's no statewide. Shit. So wow. I live in Monterey County, was able to get it, and still, though, I don't carry that often. Yeah, wow. I mean, because even, even then, it's still legally being able to carry it, it like if you use it in california it's yes exactly it's still a fucking problem it's still a huge problem yeah. if you use it in california yeah. so it's uh it's kind of a double-edged exactly yeah. yeah uh what's the last full book that you read and, and finished oh geez i just read uh i read a book on olive oil so i'm <laughs> getting into olive <laughs> oil deep so shit, Dave. yeah i just read a uh, <laughs> olive oil book and before that i just also finished a um what is the book uh tribe 
by Sebastian yeah. Younger. And um, did I say that right? I don't know if I said his last name right. But it was given to me by um, Colonel Dan Kearney. He's an active duty colonel at 10th Mountain Group of a uh, brigade there. And so we have, we're doing an army project with, um, with 3rd Infantry Division. I'm sorry, 18th Airborne Corps. 18th Airborne Corps has four major combat divisions underneath them. The divisions are 82nd Airborne, 3rd ID, 10th Mountain Group, and 101st. Well, with 3rd ID, 3rd Infantry Division, we're doing 144 one-day CrossFit courses wow. um, with them this year. Damn, so we started cool. in January, and we're doing them throughout until December. Wow. 10th Mountain Group's another division. We're uh, looking at scaling and doing some more with them. Became friends with Colonel Dan Kearney. He came out to the CrossFit Games a few weeks ago, and he gave me that book. And so um, I read it on the way over here. Started a few days before. But so when it comes to reading, I read a lot. And like this year, I think finishing that olive oil book, that's like the 36th book I've finished uh, this year. This year. Wow. And I have so in my office at home, I have a bookshelf. And on the bookshelf, in order of completion, I have every book I've read since 2016. Oh, shit. And it's just climbing. And, and the only books that go there are completed books. And on the front cover, I write the start date. And then I put the finish date and then I put the average pages per day. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. And, uh, that's fucking cool. And there, uh, I could look at the shelf and see, okay, here's all the books I read in 15. Here's all the books I read in 17 or whatever year. Yeah, um, that's smart, man. And what? so last year I finished 32 <clears throat> books. The highest in this period since I started keeping track was I think 40 something. And so starting this year, I'm like, all right, I'm going to read a book a week. And I'm not talking like, I'm talking real books. Yeah. Like, so uh, I don't, book. yeah, I read everything. So um, at this rate, so I want to finish 52, a book a week. I'm ahead of that pace. And um, the thing with it is, it's all, all it is, is just, it's just the discipline of um, making time to read. Yeah. And so I wake up, the first thing I'll do is grab a cup of coffee and I'll sit down. I won't even check emails and I'll read for anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour and a half depending on how much of how I'm how uh, into the book I am. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, at the end of the night before going to bed, I do the same thing. And um, typically 50 pages per day is is my goal. If I'm really into the book, I'll read um, read more. And when I fly, no movies. Yeah. Just read. I I can cuz I read so much, I'm so it's conditioned to it now at this point. I can get on a cross-country flight and for four or five hours for the entire duration of the flight, just read a book. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. What uh, Do you have a favorite book? Yeah, I think, honestly, Gone with the Wind is probably... No <laughs> shit. Yeah, I read that <laughs> last year and blown away by that book. I, I, a lot of the classics, Les Mis, Count of Monte Cristo, um, Gone with the Wind, probably number one, Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, East of Eden, Steinbeck, um, uh, books like that yeah. like those would all be the top five yeah great gatsby throw that in there mm -hmm. yeah top 10 for sure on great gatsby yeah that's awesome man i uh i mean i, I try to read a fair bit certainly not to the level that uh, that you do there but can you synopsize the olive oil book what did you get out of that so i'm getting into olive oil so i'm gonna sell <laughs> olive oil oh, okay like you sell dog food yeah. i'm gonna do olive oil oh, and so i read a handful of books on olive oil recently because so for years I've been involved with CrossFit for a very long time, as you mentioned, and probably several years ago, five or six years ago, all these CrossFit guys and gals, a lot of the ones that become popular, the athletes, they start selling stuff. 
besides t-shirts so there's a few like froning has beef jerky and a lot of them have coffee there's josh bridges who was a seal um a few others sell coffee margo alvarez was selling wine and i was like you know what when everyone was starting to do this i was like i'm gonna sell olive oil one day i go it's a healthy fat it's in line with our nutrition um, prescription and it's it's uh, um something that nobody else is doing yeah so i talked about it for years and never did anything with it and recently i was thinking and i've talked about it with a lot of friends a lot of the people i work with i'm like man i need to get off my ass with this idea and finally do something with it so this was the year that i really got off my ass and started working on it and i early on so i have a 65 acre ranch up in northern california i don't live there but i live near there and i go there every day and that's where i shoot and hang out I thought about planting olive trees there and doing it that way. It, it takes five to 10 years for olive trees to cultivate and to, to get to a point where you can get um, olive oil producing olives off of. So that wasn't gonna happen. But that area, there's a few little growers and 30 minutes away from the ranch in this town called Hollister, there's a guy there that I found, Bella Vista Olive Oil. And he has 1,100 trees and he has his own olive oil business and he grows them picks them when he picks them you have when you pick an olive oil, an olive from an olive oil producing tree you have 24 hours to get it to the press really? and it's not really pressed it's a centrifuge you have 24 hours to get it to a processor and luckily there's one so the trees are 30 minutes away from our ranch and then an hour south is this mill and so he takes them down there gets it processed and so and he sells a lot of his stuff he does some online but he goes around to um Farmers markets is a is that twenty four hour rule by law or spoilage or by spoilage and by extra virgin olive oil and okay. by keeping it high quality and so um, I met with him a few times we've talked a bunch and told him basically hey I want to white label your olive oil I want to buy it and then put my logo and do my thing and sell it and he was all about it so um, I we had a CrossFit event a small event there's another group called Street Parking. They, uh, they have their own little CrossFit-like community. They ran an event at our ranch uh, a few months ago. And so I bought 100 bottles from this guy. And, it was, and I, had, I had a custom label made, put the label on, and I took them and sold them at this event. And so that was my first step. And uh, those sold out. Sold them at another street parking event. And now what I'm working on is the e-commerce, the website, the, the bottle, the packaging, getting the packaging from... Uh, overseas the tins i'm gonna sell them in tins yeah. and so getting all the logistics set the olive oil is easy to buy from the guy because we talk all the time now and he'll sell it to me in 50 gallon drums and then i purchase it and then i have to take it to the processor and he'll bottle it for me and so it hasn't launched yet it formally it launched informally at that street parking event yeah. so i'm just reading up on olive oil and and you know getting familiar with the product yeah. as you're familiar with dog food yeah yeah, that's awesome. Are you going to do uh, infuse it with like garlic and chilies and all that kind of shit? Like make first, so I want to see the demand. I want to see how I want to see if I can even move the product. Yeah. Right. So I'm just starting with extra virgin olive oil. And basically what I've learned, too, is anytime anytime you do an infusion, it's not extra virgin anymore. Extra virgin is just the pure olive yeah. oil. I've also learned that the industry is incredibly corrupt. Oh, no shit. Yeah, all big olive oil and even the, some of the smaller units or smaller operations around um, other areas, are it's, it's corrupt because they cut it. Yeah. And so you only have so much of the extra virgin stuff. So to get more product, 
they cut with and a variety of yeah and <laughs> and i hope i don't get in trouble i hope they don't come after me but apparently in italy like it's run by the mafia like oh, the, no the whole scene is is pretty corrupt Dude, so part of my storyline and part of why um why I want to do this is just talking about the chain of custody being well within my reach and like, Hey, I'm going to be there. I'm going to see the trees. I'm going to see the olives get picked. Then it goes to this, this farm that's an hour away. It's processed. And so I have, it's, it's not tainted. It's yeah. pure. Yeah. Artisan, awesome. extra virgin olive oil. Yeah. Well, shit. Good luck, man. That, yeah. Uh, that's awesome. And, and it's just, a, and here's the other thing too. It's just a little side thing. Yeah. And even if I was just to have some moving on a regular cadence and it doesn't become this big thing, the whole point of it was just executing on the idea. Yeah. And like, so that, that's all I want to get out of it. I want to execute on the idea and uh, have some fun with it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Good stuff. Um, you, you mentioned your morning routine. Is there anything more to it than coffee and reading? Well, recently I started fasting. Oh. So I don't eat breakfast anymore. And uh, so I would say that's part of the routine. And for me, that like I know a lot of people are like, yeah, I don't eat breakfast and I've never eaten breakfast. That's that's like easy for them not to do. But like growing up and my whole life, I've been a big breakfast guy. So when I decided to basically cut breakfast out, um, it was a big deal. Yeah, uh, it's been very it's been very good for me. Like I just kind of trimming up, just not getting too soft, staying mentally focused. I now, so I'll have breakfast once a week. The days I do have breakfast that day or the few hours after, like I feel a little sluggish and really? I feel a little like mental cloudiness. So it's been, it's been really good to experiment with and to see. I also, I also once a week will do a 24 hour fast. Yeah. So right. I, once a week. Yeah. yeah. I've seen a lot of success and I'll work out through the fast and I like experimenting and just playing with it. See how my body handles it. Yeah. Do you work out at all the first couple hours? Not right now. You know, yeah. it's, it's interesting because I work out whenever I can throughout the day when there's breaks and I almost never prioritize it in the morning. Yeah. I, uh, 10, 11, if I have a breaking calls more often two or three in the afternoon, I don't have a set schedule for working out. I get it in. I do train all the time, but I, uh, more chaotic with the schedule on that yeah i mean so with uh what you do with crossfit i mean is that most of your day is on the phone right now it seems like it is zoom yeah. calls and and on the phone and it's funny because with the teams i lead or with the groups i work with i'm big into like okay we'll do our zoom calls we'll have our group zooms but like if we have a one-on-one -on -one call i'm like just fucking call me yeah <laughs> like i'm yeah. done with zoom i can only handle so many do zooms a day yeah. and i have like a uh I said, Hey, if, if email, start with an email. Yeah. If that's, if we can't resolve the issue with an email, we'll have a call. If we still can't resolve it, then, then we go to a zoom. Yeah. And I kind of have this priority of communications that I put out for our team because the zoom culture, it's just like, it can get out of control. Well, and I've seen it get out of control in CrossFit where just like everything's a zoom. Yeah. Well, you can only wear pants for so many hours a day, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, that shit would drive me nuts. Um, all right, so I know you, you know you were on Jocko's show and you spent a fair bit of time talking about you know military service. Uh, while we're not going to spend the entire episode, I don't want to blast completely past it. If we could, you know, maybe synopsize from you know when you grew up and, and where and how, uh, kind of through your military career before we get uh, heavy into the CrossFit stuff and what you're doing now. Uh, where are you originally from, and what was your childhood like? So I was originally born in San Jose, San Jose, California, and then. Um, Five or six years 
so I was, uh, maybe no, actually when I was in seventh grade, so uh, second grade, I'm sorry. So when I was in second grade, we moved from San Jose to my father bought this 65 acre ranch and he had a trucking company and he wanted to consolidate his trucking yard and his house to one location. And so in San Jose, he had a trucking yard and he had the house we lived in in a neighborhood called Campbell. And so he found 65 acres an hour south of San Jose, basically 30 minutes um, inland from Monterey. And he bought this piece of land, built the truck shop. And growing up, we had trucks, 18 wheelers everywhere. And my dad was a truck driver. He ran the truck com trucking company. My mom was like the secretary of the company. Uh, my dad was a mechanic. My brother was a mechanic. My brother was a truck driver. He's seven years older than me. And watching them work and watching that lifestyle, I was like, I don't want to be a truck driver. <laughs> I have to find something else. So college was in the cards. And then eventually um, I got accepted to California State University, Monterey Bay, which was a new school in Monterey. But then that summer after I graduated high school, before starting college, I watched The Rock with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. And that was the movie that like really piqued my interest. Yeah. And after seeing that, I then started reading all the books, started watching all the movies. And, and for me, it was, I keep looking at the helmet because that's yeah. so fucking cool. Like that yeah. I have the same helmet 215 yeah. at home yeah. and you know, Pat Sherwood, he has in all his videos and stuff, he has his helmets in his back. Yeah. Um, that was anyway, a fucking banger class. That was man. a banger class. And so then I saw that movie, started researching everything, and and uh, the whole story is I wondered if I could do it. Like, do I have what it takes to do that? Did not excel at anything in high school. Did you play sports? Yeah, I played football. Didn't really play, though. Yeah. <laughs> I was on the team. Um, tried out for the basketball team, never got picked. Uh, once I decided to go this route, what I really realized and wished I would have done, I should have... I should have ran. I should have been on cross country. My daughter now is on cross country, but like I ended up finding out I was a pretty good runner. I wish I would have ran. If I knew earlier on that I wanted to be a, a seal, I would have also swam, but I didn't go that route. You know what I remember from buds with you is running Yeah, our four mile time runs. Cause you were always like right up front. Yeah. Like we, we, I was one of the faster guys, not the fastest, but up in that, you know, yeah. forward facing group. Yeah. Well, yeah. So similarly, I mean, I, I swam all growing up, um, but never with fins. And so swimming with fins actually fucked my ankles up and, uh, and I, I did not excel at swimming. Well, wow. uh, I ran some, I mean, I, I ran uh, a little bit of cross country in the mile in junior high in, in high school. All I did was swim. Um, but yeah, like going from no fins and in a pool where you're guiding on a black line on the, on the bottom of the pool to open ocean and fins that are, you know, about like fucking two by fours. Totally different experience for me. But then I ended up um, pinching my sciatic nerve at, at Laguna doing land nav. Did and you? then I failed everything. That's what, So I was in 214 originally <clears throat> and then ended up, uh, you know, back uh, back at, at square one with 215. But You know what's nuts is how much, how different it is now. Even like, what was your rate before you went to BUDS? Intelligence specialist. Yeah, I was a PR. But now you can go for so yeah. like you can go right into a pipeline where they really take care of yeah. you and really set you up it's for, for sure success yeah. yeah it's it's a better to get guys through but i don't know if that actually has translated to better numbers yeah I, I, to me i think uh you know genetically not to get too off track but the you know the com the components or character traits the genetic code that needs to exist for you to be somebody who can do that for a living 
I think is just, it's an anomaly. Yeah. You know, and, and it makes sense in that, like from a, an evolutionary biology standpoint, like the traits that it takes to do that for a living don't lend themselves to the survivability of a species if most people <laughs> had those. Yeah. So it makes sense that few people have them. Yeah. Uh, and I think no matter what you do selection-wise, no matter what you do preparatory-wise, training-wise, what, what have you, is that this, the, if the standards are what they are, you're going to get about the same amount yeah. of percentage people through no matter what the fuck you do. I, I really yeah. believe that. But Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and as you know, and as you're saying, even it's so much more of this than I always yeah. tell people, the physical part, yeah, sure, train, prepare, all of that, but it's this, yeah. 100%. Yeah, I mean, the, the better the shape you're in, uh, the less you're going to have to rely on your mind. Yeah. But everybody, no matter what kind of shape you're in, you're going to get to the point where your mind has to carry you through. You know, So it, it just boils down to how much do you want to rely on your mind. Yeah. You know? uh, yep. But, yeah, it's it's uh, it's weird. I mean, I think about it, it feels in some ways it feels like it was fucking yesterday and other, yeah. other ways it feels like five lifetimes ago. But uh, Well, we were both probably the younger guys in the class yeah. too. Yeah. Like um, my roommate, Todd Dolgoff, he was – 30 something at that point. Yeah, I think it was 35, I think. Yeah, and even when I became, when I was 35, I thought back to that period and I'm like there's no way I could do yeah. this or I could have went through buds at yeah. 35. No, I'm right there with you. I mean, he's <laughs> got to be like fucking 90. Right yeah, now. exactly. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, fucking wild. Um as you guys know, sleep is a huge component to recovery uh and really all aspects in life and it's something that a lot of us have struggled with uh, you know, for a lot of our lives, frankly. Uh, as you know, I've been a uh, a big proponent of Beam, which is a hot cocoa that uh, you know you drink before you go to sleep, and it's helped tremendously in terms of hours of sleep maintained as well as the uh, quality of sleep. Today, my listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder, which is their science-backed hot cocoa for sleep, and it's got no added sugar. Better sleep has never tasted better. As you know, other sleep aids can cause next day grogginess um, and just make you feel crappy, but Dream contains a powerful all-natural blend of reishi, magnesium, L-theanine, and apigenin, also melatonin, to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up feeling refreshed. If you want to try Beam's best-selling Dream Powder, get up to 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash micdrop, all caps, all one word, and use code Mic drop, all one word, all caps at checkout. That's shopbeam.com slash mic drop and use code mic drop for up to 40% off. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. All right. So uh, you join, we go through training together. Um, were, were there any things that you, that you kind of took away from going through that uh, were either totally unexpected, easier than, than you thought, harder than you thought? What was your uh, kind of reflecting back on it, your experience? It was all really hard. It, yeah. I felt like it was all really hard for me. It was all as hard. It was harder than I thought it would be. But years later, when I was in the teams at a team, I would look back and it all made sense. Yeah. Even some of the stuff we did pre-combat, even some of the stuff we did in training, even some of the exercises we would do, 
it's like, yeah, that training was foundational for what we would have be expected to do later. Yeah. And I actually think some, some of the things we did after years later at teams was, um, not harder than buds, but, um, uh, as challenging in unique ways. Yeah. We were definitely pushed and we needed to be. Yeah. I, I would say in, environmentally after buds, there were things that were more challenging. It's just, you don't have other human beings adding to, yep. to that challenge, you know, but. And the expectations and like the, the being pushed and being like constantly evaluated and constantly tested, yeah. like performing at a high level for years on end, um, also was, was, uh, necessary and, um, made it uniquely different because in bud for the most part until you get to SQT now, then we didn't have it connected, but it was all mostly just grinding through. Yeah. You, did, it, you weren't graded too much on your thinking and your critical decision-making skills. Yeah. Were, were there, uh, any things that were, kind of a letdown or, or things that you were disappointed in, uh, from the SEAL teams? I think maybe years later, even just seeing some of the banter and the bickering that goes on amongst our community, like that wasn't then, but even now when you look at some of these guys sparring online over stupid shit, I'm like, come on, man, we're all from the same community. We're all silent professionals. Like let's represent that much yeah. better. Yeah. And, um, and even that, seeing some of that, there's some of that same politics even then, but not on like a social media or like some of that. that, that it was in, private. Yeah, exactly. It was private, but it was there. Some of those things were, were interesting to me. And, but just understanding like, hey, in any community, any collection of people, any society has its good people and has its bad people and has great performers and poor performers. And the same thing could be said even in our, you know, selective community. There was a wide, yeah. wide uh, variety of people and different um, perspectives and attributes. And there's a lot of guys that, you know, we could say like, how did this guy end up on the yeah. team? You know, and that part was kind of a surprise to me. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. I mean, there's the minimum standard. Mm -hmm. And there's guys that barely meet it, but meet it. And, and then there's other guys that uh, obnoxiously exceed it, you know, but the uh, politics of it, I think, was surprising. Just seeing as, yeah. as, you know, as more time in and how people evolve and positioning for opportunity or position. Yeah, it's all fascinating. But it was all here's the thing about all of that. It was so obviously for people like us, who was it was our foundation as an adult and led us to uh to where we are now yeah like a hundred percent who i am and what i am now is based off of that yeah period and i imagine you could say the same for sure i mean you know like you were saying earlier we were both young i mean i i had to wait i graduated at 17 and had to wait until i turned 18 to go to boot camp and, and went straight through you know yep. so yeah i mean i was 18 showing up and and i grew up in the navy you know 18 to 30 i mean that's yep. a you know, and I would, I wouldn't take it back. I mean, you couldn't pay an amount of money to, to be fortunate enough to be surrounded by the guys that, that we were surrounded by. You know, I mean, I, I can't think of a better time to have gone through too, because it was, you know, a few years pre nine eleven, yep. a, a bunch post. And so you got kind of both, both ends of the spectrum, but technology wasn't there when we first started. And then it was, you know, so you just kind of got a good mix of everything, I think. But it was a really good period, and and that that perspective of having been in pre nine eleven is powerful because um, 
all the guys who went in after 9-11, especially into what we did, I found myself at times thinking, would I have enlisted knowing you're going to war? I think yes is the answer, yeah. but it's still like, it's very admirable what like, yeah. there's a lot of guys after you and I did not enlist during a war. Yeah. And then there's a lot of people who enlisted right after a war, knew they were going to go to war. Um, and some of them didn't make it. Yeah. And so like, it's a, it's a very, it was unique perspective to see pre and post. And then yeah. what post represented to the, um, to the military, to the community, to us. And, and for me, it was like, I, right after 9-11, I thought, okay, here we are, we're going to, we're going to war, we're going to do this. It was still a few years of like, it wasn't that right away. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, there was like a lot of teams down. were not getting out there yeah. quickly. Later on, I think it, there was a lot going on where people were, especially after Iraq kicked off. Yeah. But in the beginning, there was still a, it wasn't like we all activated and went to war right away. Yeah. Is there uh, one combat experience that you can can or would would share that stands out as being something that either was super impactful or, or memorable or, or one that you think about often there's there's a few of those there's a few that um i think about there's some moments and deployments that were powerful for me but yeah that's like that's the line i don't want, like to cross yeah, yeah. and like i've been you know so it's like it's kind of like the social media thing right yeah. where I, I i make these little rules for myself and i stick with them and early on in crossfit it was funny so i started working for crossfit in 2006 and um i was a buds instructor from seven to nine so there was a period where i was active duty a full-time instructor down there and i was also working full-time for crossfit and so at that time, CrossFit was really big into media creation and content stuff. And I told them, hey, don't talk about me being a SEAL yeah. and don't film any aspect of that. And so early on, right away with CrossFit, I was like, I'm not going to talk about it and I don't want to um, go there. And they were very respectful um, of that and respectful with me, especially because I was active duty still. Yeah. And which is like, um, people have said, Hey, isn't that, a, isn't that, is that even allowed in the Navy? I'm like, ah, probably not, but I did it. <laughs> and as a buds instructor, you know, we knew our schedules. Yeah. And so yeah. it was the only time I could yeah. do something like that. Yeah. So I was there, we were there for that in, in seven and eight, I got out at the end of 08. So we were there in seven and eight at the same time as instructors. And there were guys that were filming fucking movies yeah. in Hollywood, you know, so. Yes, exactly. It's kind of like if, if you could pull it off, it was like, yep. man, it wasn't causing problems. You know, you could, you could pretty much do just about whatever you wanted. Um, is there one thing or even several that you that you took away from the SEAL community that that you apply kind of in your everyday life um, in, in the level of, of CrossFit affiliation that you have now? Is there something that. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, um, professionalism, focus, commitment to the mission, commitment to the outcome, um, all of the, almost everything. Like I feel like it's really influenced who I am, holding myself to a super high standard, holding the people that I work with to a really high standard. Um, as a leader, expecting more of people sometimes than they expect of themselves. Sometimes I'm a little hard on people because of that. Um, so much of what I've learned there, yeah, I feel like it's totally carried over. It's very formative of who I am now. Yeah. And, and I really respect, um, if here's the reality though, if I had not had this CrossFit opportunity, I for sure would have stayed in for 20. Yeah. Like in 09, basically my buds tour was up and I had to go back to a team. And if I went back to a team, I had to stop doing CrossFit. 
but at 09 in CrossFit, I'd already created the CrossFit Games. We had, we had three years in of CrossFit Games. Um, they were going like this. The seminar program, which I also ran, was going like this. I was um, financially able to provide for my family much better with CrossFit yeah. than I would was with the Navy. So getting out was a no-brainer. So I said, okay, I'm going to focus full-time on CrossFit because it's a, it's a unique opportunity. Um, but if it hadn't been for CrossFit, I for sure would have stayed in for 20. Yeah. Because I, I was really passionate about it. I loved what I did. Yeah. Was there any regret getting out? Um, yeah, I, I sometimes do just like not, uh, I feel like kind of turning your back on the guys, even though it, it, it's normal, like, yeah. and, and then when you watch, um, and see everything that's going on in the world and the missions and what's happening, it's funny. Cause I remember one year, uh, I guess I forgot the year, but maybe you'll remember. Um, I had a buddy who I was a teammate with and he texted me and said, watch the news tonight. And that's all he said. And I went, oh, fuck. I go, they got Bin Laden. Yeah, May and of like, 2011. Yeah, I got like emotional. Even now I'm almost getting emotional over yeah. it. Like I got emotional over that. And he didn't say anything else but watch the news tonight. Yeah. And I knew what that fucking meant. And I was like, they fucking got Bin yeah. Laden. Yeah. And it was such a powerful thing to me because like I, so much, so many missions, so many, so much time spent, like no shit looking for that dude. Bro brothers <laughs> lost. People yeah. lost. Yeah. Um so much like he meant that the fact that they got and feeling like I wasn't there for that or I wasn't still contributing to that. That was a powerful moment for me. And like it really did make me emotional. And so I watched um, Obama do his thing that night and yep, confirmed it. And I was like, that's fucking wild. Yeah. Same here. I, I mean, it, to me, it's, uh, you know, I remember my parents talking about when JFK was assassinated and like, I mean, or like 9-11, like you'll never forget where you were when you heard for me, and I think for us, it was that same kind of thing. And yeah. hearing that, I know right where I was. I was on the road driving back from California uh, as a uh, canine uh, instructor with the West Coast SEAL canine program. And um, same kind of thing. Like a buddy sent me a, a text and was like, hey, dude, fucking, you know, check this shit out or whatever. And, dude, I, I broke down because, yeah. I mean, to me, like him, him as an individual symbolized such an, like our entire careers almost. Yeah. You know, really, and and you know, lots of fucking good friends lost. You know, trillions of dollars spent fucking chasing after him, and and he he represented a, a philosophy that that we had been fighting. You know, and yep. and while that didn't change us fighting and, and continuing down that path, it was uh, it was such a fucking huge moment for our communities, and especially that that our community got him. Yeah. you know, which, yep. which was equally fucking huge, I think. But there was a uh, before before like the week of 9-11, the actual event, I was in uh, Wyoming. We were doing a sniper trip and we were tr working with the, Black uh, the Blackfoot Indian Reservation. And they have something called the BIA, the Bureau of Indian Affairs. It's, their, it's like their equivalent of FBI. And we went to their office um, in Wyoming. And I remember this was probably, so it's probably like September, call it fifth or sixth and, uh, of, of 01. And I remember in this office, they had the FBI top 10 list. And I saw him on there and I was like, hmm, it's Abu Bin Laden. And I read the little thing and I was like, well, that's, you know, it, like it hit me. He resonated. He was the one of the top 10 that like stood out. And I had known of him because of like the coal bombing and some of this stuff earlier. And that's obviously why he was on the list. And then a few days later, I remember waking up in our hotel and walking down in Glacier National Park. And, you know, it's all over the news. And I was like, 
no fucking shit. Like, I don't think at that moment we knew, I think it was maybe a few days later where he started getting instantly like brought into the discussion that it was him yeah. and his people. But, um, that, that moment, like those two periods connecting were another significant moment. Cause, um, just a few days ago I had looked at his image and just thought about him yeah. and just like what he represented even then. Yeah. Pre nine 11. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we uh, transition into the CrossFit stuff uh, real heavy, because I've got a million fucking questions for you there the uh, and the other projects you have going on, uh, do you have a good hazing story? <laughs> do I have a good hazing story? I think I was pretty... Uh, I, I, Even being hazed. Yeah. Either being no, hazed. No, no, no. I know, no. I'm not, <laughs> I didn't haze much. I think uh, I was... Yeah, I mean, the, like the, the, ring, the, the guys who took me under their wing when I got to Team 4, it was just like a lot of the mental hazing as a new guy, just like the expectations and just the, the things they would make us do. Um, I, I, the, one of the guys who's a close friend now, like I ended up hating for a while Yeah, and it was like, he was an uncomfortable big brother. <laughs> and, uh, I, I say he, he's, uh, he's, he's, he helped me become who I am now, yeah. the best and the worst of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so like that just constant type of just pressure on you or pressure on some, on me, um, and the, the way he treated us and talked to us, like it was a lot, it less the physical part, like the physical hazing stuff wasn't so bad. It was there, but the mental stuff, just like the accumulation and just like, at one point being like, Hey, fucking dude, I'm not a fucking new guy anymore. Yeah. Been here two years. You yeah, can lay the exactly. Fuck <laughs> like let's, let's move on. Yeah. Well, so the, I'll use that as my segue into the CrossFit stuff. I can't help but uh, smile when I see uh, the, the events, <laughs> the, the way that, that you do them just exudes yeah. that same kind of yeah. mental fuckery and, and mind games. Like how much of, of, that principle and, and philosophy do you use to, to create the game? A, a lot of it is very like understanding, putting natural stressors on not artificial, but natural through constraints of uh, time or not understanding, like hearing about a workout with minimal time. So you're not able to prepare. Um, there's a lot of those mental stressors. I like putting on athletes or through events and I have throughout the years, some more than other, uh, this year, not as much of that, but in years past, a lot of that. Um, it's definitely influenced, but but there's a fine line because I can't, you know, I've had people accuse me of, oh, you're trying to you're trying to make it like buds. I've never tried to make it like buds. And if you ever look at it, it's 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 definitely not a day at buds is much harder than a day at the CrossFit Games. But a day they're doing things that no one at buds could do. So it's very different. Um, a lot of implements like the the log and stuff kind of carried over a lot of ideas from that but the, so there's a fine line where we're ultimately trying to test fitness and so um not trying to make people completely break down mentally but if they do break down in the test for whatever reason well that's kind of an added benefit but not the intention yeah i love it um how strategic and methodical is are, are the creation or is the creation of of the events as far as like when you're looking at it from kind of the 30,000 foot view of, okay, we're trying to test overall fitness. Like, do you have metrics that you use that, okay, we've done this type of workout. We've tested strength here. We've like, is there almost a formula that you're using? Yeah. Within a weekend, there's definitely, um, put up on a whiteboard that I'll have a room similar to this where I have multiple whiteboards and 
like the different time domains that we've tested things, the different elements, the strength. Have we tested strength with very low reps? Have we tested strength at high rep? Uh, trying not to be too redundant with movements, trying to test the whole spectrum. How many things have we tested in a short time duration? How many long things? So there's kind of an unofficial formula for all of it. And looking at it big picture, taking a snapshot of one thing and seeing how it fits with 12 other things. Yeah. And so any you can program one in isolation rather easily, but then making it work with the big picture is really important. So a lot... Like this last, this year, um, I assisted with the programming towards the end because I came in late, but the years past I would, where I'd programmed the entire thing, um, pretty much every single year, except for last year and this year, I would spend almost all year thinking about this stuff and looking at it and moving things around. Really? So it's an entire year process that you're it's, developing? It's like an entire year of thinking about, and even there's been years, I'm I was thinking about two years in front of, like oh, I would wow. think about in two years, we're going to do this. And so there's ideas and themes and things laid out. And then within like four or five months of the actual event, that's when it's like super focused, but throughout the year, kind of tossing things on the board four or five months out, really diving in and refining last two or three months, just like hardcore. And is there a, like almost a delegation where you guys get together and it's like when they fucking select the Pope where it's like you guys <laughs> lock yourself in a room and it's like, okay, we're going to like, how does that go down? There, there's, um, especially at this stage, we, even then there were team members that bring together and we would go over the workouts and they'd challenge or question or push on things and ask what the intent was, brief them and then kind of go out and now I'd, I'd create them and then I'd have to have people execute essentially the events yeah and so we would do that multiple months ahead of time and uh even this year so the team gets together they go over them and then they have they test them they have athletes test them and then we should have everything locked in by the time we get to the event yeah because okay. it's a massive event and it's a lot of moving parts and it's a lot of um logistics yeah is it, uh, they're not public or released until right up until the, uh, before they're done, right? It depends. So okay. some years, sometimes, you know, we'll announce a workout a month out on July 4th in years past, we've announced one of the events, one of 10 or 11, 12. Sometimes we'll announce them, um, the day of sometimes we'll announce them with 20 or 30 minutes lead up. And one time we basically took the athletes out onto the floor and announced everything as they were finishing with the last thing. Wow. So it was like, go, they walk up and it's like 30 burpees and they started doing 30 burpees. And then they walk up to the next station and there's a pull-up bar and they look at it and then it's like, okay, 25 pull-ups. And then they did 25 pull-ups. And so that one, they had no chance to strategize. They just had to go, which was cool. And kind of some of the mental stressors, like even inspired by things we did where you're going into things blind. Yeah. Is there a... Uh how many people are involved in developing the events? Um, there we have, so conceptually or big picture, I'd program them and then bringing in a handful of the judges, a handful of the senior leaders to now let's lay out the floors. Let's talk about judge placement. Let's talk about how they're going to flow. There's probably a team of less than 10 of us. Okay. And so, I mean, trust has to be a hundred percent with those people because yeah, absolutely. obviously like if the secrecy element, yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, is there, if the mob can run olive oil, right? <laughs> yes, I mean, is yeah. there, 
Has there ever been any issues of either bribery or like leaked? We've not had bribery issues, but we've had leaks. And so essentially when you get to the level of at the CrossFit games, yeah, I mean, I, to, to talk about like that workout we just described, um, putting 40 people through, then there's more people that are brought into the circle. Yeah. So there's like, there, actually, let me even back up. In Carson one year, we had an event where they came out on the floor, 10 athletes at a time. And we told them, hey, you're going to do, I think it was double grace. And so grace is 30 clean and jerk. So you pick up a 135 pound bar, clean it, jerk it. And grace is 30 reps for time. And a fast time is like, uh, really fast is like around a minute 15. Um, what we did at the games that year is we decided to do double grace. So they do 60 reps. But what we decided to do was tell them when they came out on the floor. And so kept that secret element and they came out and they were surprised with having to do 60 reps years later, maybe the next year, I don't remember when I found out. Yeah. Some of the guys before coming out knew really, they like, were like, like how much of a heads up did they have? Uh, probably 30 minutes to an hour oh, okay. more than everyone else. So not like a massive, but like when they came out there, they knew they were going to get they, the surprise of hearing for the first time. And so that was kind of a bummer. But at that point you think about, like the sphere of how many people know knew it kind of grows. Yeah. Like there's volunteers now who knew there's people, um, judges knew there's staff members who move gear and who knows who, but one of them basically yeah. Yeah. said something. And so, and, and also the, so at that point, is that changing the outcome of the event? Not really. Yeah. It's just kind of some of the surprise aspect is lost. And so that's frustrating. Yeah. I mean, to me, I, I guess the thing that I would, think of or be concerned or curious about is like if it's months in advance like if you've yeah. got you know a, a mole you know that his best friend is a top competitor and he's like hey dude yeah i'm giving you a three months heads like here's four of the events and and, and now they're gaming the system that's a whole other fucking ball game like is we that possible yes it had there's been since instances like that where we've had workouts that so we have test people uh, which are other games athletes go through these and they sign waivers and they signed non-disclosures, I should say. And um, we've heard instances of months later at the game, so maybe a month and a half or two months before the games, people will test them. And I've heard, hey, so-and-so kind of knew this was coming from one of the testers. And unconfirmed and like, should we take action or not? And you know, in that instance, we chose not to take action because even what he had leaked, potentially, again, it's this notion of, uh, it sucks, but it wasn't going to change the outcome. And it didn't actually, cause the person who we heard knew didn't do that well anyways. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine if somebody knew every single event three months ahead of time, Yeah, like that's a, a every single event, event three months ahead of time or a new element that everyone else didn't know about. Yeah. So if there was a new thing that people didn't know about and they were able to prepare for it, that yeah. would be an, yeah. a big unfair advantage. Yeah. Uh, taking kind of one step back, uh, the evolution of you getting initially involved in growing into the position that, that you're now in, how did that happen? Like, how, how did you go from being on active duty to just being, you know, being a guy that went through and, and was doing some of the training to being picked to do all that? So I was uh, in Monterey going to DLI. And uh, while I was there, I was already, I'd already been crossfitting for a couple of years, maybe a year. And um, living at my parents' ranch, so this ranch I've talked about, the home of the CrossFit Games, the first three. And so that's here, 30 minutes away is Monterey. 
and then 30 minutes away this direction is Santa Cruz. So I knew Santa Cruz was like the home of CrossFit. So I started going to Santa Cruz and started working out with that crew. At the time, um, they had a handful of gyms around the country, maybe less than 100. And uh, I met Greg Glassman. He was the founder of CrossFit, super supportive of military. And so he told me to start training there for free, started training there when I could, and started meeting all the personalities there. Went to a level one seminar. It's one of the courses that they we still host. And um, then they asked me to start coming around the seminars start helping out at the seminars. And so um, at that point, like I wasn't a trainer or a fitness guy. So when they asked me to come help out at the seminar, I was like, well, I'm not going to help train. So like I started setting up the chairs. I started taking the trash out. And um, I took this perspective of being really fucking humble in regard to their world because I didn't know that world like they knew that world. So you played the new guy. I played the new guy. I totally went into the new guy thing. And this is advice I give to people. And here I was, I'd come from the pinnacle of our community and done a lot and been to combat. And, and I'm like, in this environment, a bunch of hippies in Santa Cruz, I got to kind of start over and prove myself and be humble. And so did that set up chairs. Um, I, even then I had a knack for organization from all of our time in the teams and, and logistics. And I would give advice like, Hey, what if we set up the classroom this way? Or what if we organize the groups this way? Just started adding value like that. And, um, they started asking me to events more and more events. And I never said no. So I said yes to everything worked really hard. Even when I wasn't getting paid, worked really hard. They saw and through all of that, paid attention to the training, paid attention to CrossFit, started becoming a well-educated trainer, a pretty good trainer, started reading a lot of all the training books related to CrossFit, the nutrition books, exposed myself to that end and became a decent trainer and kept coming to more and more courses. Then eventually they kind of offered me a role, more formally working with them. Then after having been on the team for six, seven, eight months, started traveling with them, teaching courses, again, never saying no to anything. And the role and role expanded until finally they're like, hey, we want you to work with Nicole Carroll and run the seminar program. So the seminar program was like my start in CrossFit and I was teaching seminars. And at the period, we were doing like one level one every few weeks. And then it was like one every weekend. And then Glassman, so Glassman would teach them all and we'd travel with him and he'd do all the lectures and he'd run them. And uh, at one point, Greg said, hey, I'm going to come off the road and you guys have to scale this and you're going to make it or break it. If you guys scale it, he said, we're all going to get rich. <laughs> if you uh, don't, we're going to go under and we're going to tank. <laughs> and so we're no like, pressure. yeah, no pressure. <laughs> and so what we had to do at that point was we had to standardize everything because with him, every course he taught was a different schedule, was different lectures. And so we had to standardize it and make it scalable to different teams. And then we had to start creating teams of trainers and like within a few months. So we were doing one every weekend. Then we're doing two. We're doing uh, two weekends. We're doing two. And the other weekends we're doing one. Then every weekend we're doing two. Then every weekend we're doing four or five. Wow. Then eventually every weekend we were doing like at the high point, 20 or 30 level one seminars around the country, around the world, I'm sorry, around the world. And so we totally scaled it. Yeah. And, um, and you, you, so you were not on active duty at this point, right? No, 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 I was. Still, no shit. <laughs> so this is, this is like six, seven. That's and crazy. so, um, 
So this is the early days. But by the time I'm saying we're doing 20 seminars, I was probably uh, 11 or 12. So I had been out. But by eight or nine, we were definitely doing five, six, seven a weekend. And I was scheduling and staffing all of those courses. And we as a team were developing all the personnel to, um, to teach them. Actually, I'll say this. And so in 09, I decided to get out. I decided I was going to get out to do this full time. And right before getting out, I called my old team leader. And I said, hey, I didn't tell him though I was getting out. I'm like, hey, you guys leaving anytime soon? He's like, yeah, we're about to, we're going to do a deployment in a few months. I'm like, let me come with you. And he's like, all right, cool. And so in 09, right before getting out, I went back to the East Coast, jumped on board with my old team leader and did a deployment to, uh, to Afghanistan. No shit. Yep. yep. Wow. And for me, I didn't signal it at that time. But it was like the last, like, I just needed to get it out of my system. Yeah. And so from, from this deployment, I was planning seminars and I was planning the CrossFit games while wow. um, <laughs> well, no we were doing missions. Um, they're not every night, but almost every other yeah. night. And so um, now back up. So seminars, that was all going on. Seminars were cranking. And in, in mid-2007, I brought Glassman over to my parents' ranch and the 65 acre property with the trucking, with the trucking yard. And we walked around and he's like, Hey, I've always thought about doing an event. Let's have an event here. And I go, okay, cool. Like what? He was like a competition, kind of like he said, the Woodstock of fitness. And I'm like, all right, cool. He's like, you want to run it? I'm like, sure, I'll, I'll run it. I'm good at organizing things. And so then that summer, 2007, we had the first CrossFit games and it was on my parents' property. And we had about 60 or 70 athletes sign up. And we had probably 50 or 60 people come and watch. And um, that was the first CrossFit Games. It didn't think anything of it. Like, we didn't have any vision for it. Didn't think it was going to turn into anything big. And it was what it was. The Next year, and all I was focused on after running that was the seminar program. Because that's like the meat of CrossFit. And it's what creates CrossFit gyms and CrossFit tra trainers. And still to this day, I'm running that and heavily involved and uh, it means that aspect, what a lot of people, everyone sees me for the CrossFit Games, and I'm most known in CrossFit, communi the community for the CrossFit Games, but where my heart and passion really is, is with that team and that effort, because we're sending people around the world every weekend, changing the world, empowering people with this methodology, and giving them the tools to, to change their lives and to change their family or friends. Yeah. So back to the game. So then... Um, the next year in 08, we like a few weeks, maybe a few months, few months before the actual games decided, are we even, well, we were talking, are we even going to do this thing again? And we're like, yeah, let's host it. And so we posted a link online and within, you know, a few hours, we had a couple hundred people sign up, which that time was a lot. And so we ran a competition in 08 with 300 people. And then in 09 had to kind of change the format. And, and after 09, 09 was the first year where I was like, ah, there's something here. Like we have, we're onto something. And then the rest of the, since then, it's just been a wild roller coaster of growth and change and doing things differently and moving locations. Yeah. So the, the first year, there was how many uh, participants? About 60 or 70. And about as many people, people showed up to watch. Yeah. Contrast yeah. that to the one that just took place. So this year, I think we had around uh, 12,000 people, spectators, show up. Wow. We had, uh, in the beginning stages, in the online stages where it starts, we had over 300,000 people compete online. So it starts in March with a pool of this year, 300. At its highest, we've had 450,000 register 
Um, and then those are all whittled down to the top 40 men and top 40 women at the CrossFit Games. That's impressive, man. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. Like, uh, it's, uh, I, I, even when I go to the ranch now, I'm like, it all started here. Yeah. And it all, like, it's grown and, like, tended the tree, the forest to what it is now. Yeah. And it started with you and Greg walking around your yep. property like, yeah, we should try this. Yep. That's incredible, man. Such a cool story. Speaking of Greg, uh, it's been some tumultuous times uh, along the path uh, that is CrossFit. Uh, what can you share about that? I mean, I know that like there was a period where it was kind of all over the news and there was like some leaked audio that was not, not particularly flattering. And like from an insider's perspective, can you kind of go over what happened? So I think, you know, it's interesting that period. And when was it exactly? It was it was right after, um, probably a few months after the the George Floyd stuff and all the riots and um, it, so after COVID, then the, after the um, the riots and yeah, he said some stuff that he shouldn't have said and put himself in a position shouldn't have said publicly that got out publicly and uh, it looked really bad put a lot of stress on the community put a lot of stress on our gyms um when i say stress i mean like we had affiliate gyms and owners who were losing members because the guy who created crossfit had said this and their members were saying hey he said this so we're leaving um so it created this really chaotic time for crossfit and um Greg's a genius and Greg's an incredibly gifted man, but he's also really, he's incredibly opinionated. And sometimes the, the opinions, um, his opinions or even my opinions on topics aren't reflective of our community at large. It would have been great if everyone could have said and seen, hey, just because Greg said that or did this or does that, that's not indicative of every affiliate owner out there, or that's not how every member of CrossFit thinks, or that's not how every uh, gym owner is, that we all have our different minds and perspectives. But at that moment in time, there was no separating. Like, it's weird. Culturally, they it was so tied to CrossFit. And that's what baffled me through that, is like, hey guys, why can't he say something? like Why can't he be his own man and his own individual that, that doesn't, tie everything he does or everything he says to every affiliate but it's not how it played out like yeah. people were losing members we had affiliates then deciding <clears throat> to de-affiliate everyone went up in arms and it was a good lesson for me in terms of like yeah even i'm i'm a significant figure in the community i have strong opinions on things the community is really large and diverse and there are things i would like to talk about but I can't because I know it would create a situation where like it or not, it's polarizing. Yeah. And like, like it or not, if I say what I think on this topic, it might offend half of our affiliate owners and our people who look up to me and who respect me and look for, um, look to for leadership within our CrossFit community and uh, half would love it. Half might not in any direction or on certain topics. So there's a lot of things that I decide to stay out of. And even prior to that happening, I, I kind of realized that, but that really solidified like, Hey, we got to really, I have to focus on fitness yeah. with CrossFit. Yeah. And, and that's part of also why I have that other account. So like, there's a lot of people who aren't fans of uh, guns as we know, or shooting or hunting. And so um, early on, on my main account, I did put some of that stuff. 
Uh, it was controversial most of the time. So, <laughs> so then finally I'm like, all right, I'm going to stop putting that stuff here, but it is who I am. So I'm going to create another separate, smaller account where I do all of that. And even there, I don't get into politics or I don't take positions or, or I just show, you know, my shooting endeavors and my hunting endeavors. And, um, so keeping it separate. So the Greg thing, you know, it's, it's, um, it was really, uh, unfortunate time in our history and I really think that Greg could have I wish it didn't happen for this reason because I know Greg with how um how much of a strong personality and a thought leader in fitness and health he would have really capitalized on the moment um the COVID stuff and taken us to the next level and he would have taken himself and his own legacy to the next level in terms of just he would have unapologetically voiced um, how important health is and how important a healthy lifestyle is to combating something like that to a place where people would feel uncomfortable with it. But it would um, society because, you know, there was not enough voices out there saying the things that needed to be said mm -hmm. in regards to health and fitness towards uh, something like that. And he would have done that. And I know for a fact we would have came out on the other end in a much better position. Yeah. So to me, I feel like it was Greg's uh, moment to shine and really elevate his legacy and CrossFit and carry it to the next level. And it's so weird to me that that just the stars didn't align for that to happen. It kind of the opposite thing happened. Yeah. He got himself in trouble and ended up selling the company and. It was so, just tainted over something stupid, basically. Yeah, it was stupid, and it shouldn't have. It shouldn't have gone down like that, um, regardless of if you agree with what he said or what he didn't say. And that it did. It was the time. It was the the fiery time of the moment. Yeah. And it was, um, you know, do I think that should have happened? Do I think he should have been canceled over things he said or didn't say? Do I no? Like I don't. But it did happen. Yeah. So and I don't, I, I don't think he got canceled either. I think it's very different. The reason I say that is because he did sell the company. Yeah. And so, like, I think when you get canceled, um, you lose everything. You lose everything. Yeah. yeah. He's he was he able to he was able to sell the company, and so it's a little different than yeah. a cancel. Yeah. Um, is that the same time because your association with him, where they were like new management's coming in, new sheriff in town, Dave, you got to go too. We just were cleaning house, or what happened? No, no, no. I got I got fired later than that. Through that, I I stuck around. I was able to um, stay there. New comp new ownership did uh, come in, a new CEO, and at that point, what was interesting for me, I think there were a lot of people that were trying to find something to take me down with because I um. I don't want to say I'm not, I'm a polarizing, I was a polarizing figure too. I think I'm less polarizing now, but there's a lot of people, especially because of the games thing and because of um, some of the antics I would do in that, like it's easy to, to make me the bad guy um, or to paint me as a bad guy or to, or to criticize me or to come at me, especially around um, some of the theatrics of the games and the fact that I was always the guy putting the workouts out. So there was some chatter of like, oh, Dave needs to go too. Um, I didn't see a ton of it, but there was some of that. They, there was, I didn't go at that period. I actually stayed around. Um, stayed for about a year, year and a half maybe, a little longer before, um, before then the new CEO, the guy at that point, then ended up firing me. 
we weren't we weren't a great match. Yeah, yeah. That's just all it was. It wasn't because you were tight with Greg and, and from that whole thing and that that didn't help or was that I, I don't I can't say that it had anything to do with that I can't say either that I wouldn't be surprised if it did yeah. like because even up until now like I'm known for still having a relationship and a friendship with Greg I still talk to Greg and I don't try to hide that I don't feel a need to yeah. and even back then I was one of the um actually right before I got fired I had posted a picture with Greg and uh, <laughs> so there was a lot of people speculated and I don't, th I didn't get fired for that reason, but people speculated, Oh, look, he posts a picture with Greg and then he gets fired. I mean, so was there like from a, a official corporate cause standpoint, did they give you, this is why you're being fired? They're just like, ah, we're going in a different direction. It was kind of all over the place and it was, it's, it's really loaded. There's a lot more to it, but there's some things I still can't get into on that one. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, I would love to tell the whole story at one point, but, um, maybe when you don't work for him, maybe when yeah, you get exactly. fired again, when I get fired again, <laughs> then I'll tell the whole story. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of the, uh, I don't know if you're an office fan or not, but, uh, He's like, you got to have cause. And he's like, it's because I fucking hate him. <laughs> no, I never saw that, but that, oh, that's dude, a good one. That show is so awesome. Um, that could have been the reason here with yeah. me because he didn't like me, but yeah. it kind of caught up. I'm assuming he's not still the CEO. He's not the so, CEO. So a new guy came in and how did they bring you back in? How did that go down? So um, after it happened, there was a huge uproar amongst the community and amongst the staff. And the thing is, they didn't really have a good pinpoint reason like you didn't like I didn't fuck this up or there wasn't like a you did this and this is why you need to go and so publicly there was a big outlash uh internally there was a lot of upset individuals and then within about a month some some of the team members started talking to me and they're like hey th there's a chance we're gonna bring you back and so like I knew pretty quickly that um it was trending towards I was gonna go back it took a few months, took several months for it to happen, but um, it eventually, and so within that period, he moved on, um, and then a few months later, they did, because it wasn't, there was no, I think, outcome where it was a reintegration of both yeah. of us. Yeah. Um, so with that, did uh, did you have like a, shit, now what am I, I going to do, or were you like, all right, well, that's fuck, that door's closed, I'm going to go do this, like, what was your plan if that, if you didn't go back to work for him, did you have one? I didn't have one at that time. I was yeah. like, and you know, it's funny. I had guys all the time, team guys especially, ask me like, hey, what's your, what's your, what are you doing after CrossFit? And for a number of years, I was like, um, dude, like I built this, like I, with Greg, like we've got, we've taken it to where it is. This is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. And for a very long time, maybe even up until that moment, I really did. And now I will say naively believe that. Like yeah. I thought I was doing it for the rest of my life. I definitely do not think now. <laughs> now you got a plan B. Yeah, now I, I didn't oil. at that time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My olive oil endeavor. Um, I didn't at the time. Yeah. And so like uh, now I've started thinking like, yeah, th this I won't be doing this for another decade. I might not be doing this for another five years. What, what's, the, what's the future look like? What's, what do I do? What is the next chapter yeah. of my life? Um, so yeah, it, it definitely changed. And at that time, I didn't rush into trying to figure like out what yeah. I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm like, I, there's a lot I can do. I'll be good. Actually, I'll even say this. <laughs> Once I did get fired, I texted one of my buddies who's still on the East coast. And I said, Hey, do you guys need a shooter? <laughs> I literally did that. Oh, and, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. He's like, Dave, you're too old. Yeah. Dave, basically. <laughs> nope. You're done. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Yeah. 
Oh, that's awesome. Um, it, from for you personally, and if you can speak to goals CrossFit wise, um, is there any plans um, to to do anything different than what you're doing, other than to just continue to grow the games and uh, and certifications? Like, is there another wing or element to CrossFit that you guys want to bring? So one of the big things that I and in coming back that I I um, I brought with me kind of, and I'm going to contribute, continue to contribute is this, this army engagement we have. So actually one of the first things when I got fired, um, I have, um, there's a three, he was two star general. He's in charge of 82nd airborne and he's someone I had deployed with almost 20 years ago. And he's an army guy and I had been attached to his army unit and I did a deployment with him to Iraq. And while there I was doing CrossFit and he was making so he was a troop commander at the time. So he's like an 04. He was making so much fun of me. He was a West Point guy, <laughs> West Point guy who uh, played football. And so um, hated CrossFit. Years later with CrossFit, with Glassman, I went back to the same unit and he was the commanding officer of this army unit. And I saw him in the hallway and he came up and gave me a big hug and made fun of me for still doing CrossFit and now working for CrossFit. He was not doing CrossFit. Several years after that, which was basically two or three years ago, one of my buddies, a mutual friend, hit me up and he said, hey, I, I have CD doing CrossFit right now. And I said, CD, who's that? He's like, you know, Chris. I'm like, Chris Donahue? And he's like, yep. I'm like, no fucking way. He's doing CrossFit? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And he's really interested in it. He's really interested in talking to you about it. And I'm like, well, what's he doing now? And he's like, dude, he's the two-star in charge of 82nd Airborne, which is funny because almost 20 years ago when I deployed with him, his, the other guys on the team were like, hey, this, this troop commander, he's destined for greatness in the army. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, he's going to be someone significant. And, and if, you, if you look at um, the, the, the image, it's a famous image now of the last guy out of Afghanistan from recently. Um, the, there's a guy boarding an airplane. It's, it's taken in like night <clears throat> vision. Yeah. And that's Chris Donahue. So he was Donahue. in charge 82nd out there for that effort. And so um, he, um, after I got fired, brought me out to Fort Bragg and was like, hey, I want you to teach CrossFit to my soldiers or I want you to teach training to my soldiers. And he's like, you don't need to do this with CrossFit. You know, do it as you. And at that point, it was like a thing because I wasn't with them anymore. I'm like, cool, yeah. I'll, I'll train them. And, uh, you know, I'll put the team together to train them. Then, so as the discussions of coming back were happening that that also was moving. And so basically I talked to the team I was working with who were former teammates with him too. And I was like, Hey, we have to, we have to loop in. Uh, if I go back to CrossFit, I'm not also on the side doing this training business. So it was a thing that I carried over to CrossFit and it's been, it's been a really cool engagement. It's what I was talking about earlier a little where we're teaching. We created a one day course for them different than the L1, just a one day intro course. And at this point we put like 3,500 soldiers through uh, 3,500 of Donahue's soldiers at third infantry division and um, expanding and growing that. Like I've put a, we are the team. We've put a lot of focus and energy into just exposing other leaders in the army, continuing to deliver a world-class experience to those that we are teaching and really, and it, it's, it's incredibly rewarding to even me because it's like, now I have this opportunity to make a profound impact on a large number of soldiers yeah. and um, make them better humans, make them better soldiers, make them better people. So it's been really exciting. And now just focusing on trying to grow and expand that it's beneficial to the army. It's beneficial to us, CrossFit, just, you know, the opportunity, the work. So 
actually next week I'm going back to camp. Uh, I was going to say Fort Bragg, but I think they changed it. Oh, to oh yeah, to a different name. Liberty, yeah, probably Camp Liberty, I think, yeah. or Fort Liberty. I don't know. Yeah, that's fucking weird. Man. That is weird. Um, have, have the SEAL teams reached out to you at all in in a similar capacity? Like, hey, will you come? You know, whatever. Not not as formally. There's some guys. Um, there's some staff we know where we've I've talked to about doing um, something similar with them. On a side note, so I with my shooting, I do a lot of. Um, I train cops for free in the in the Bay Area, SWAT cops, actually anywhere. If they'll come out to me, I bring them out to the ranch and I teach them um, the SWAT snipers. I work with them on their shooting. And um, I, I do that with a, probably several, maybe less than a dozen different teams. And But some team guy snipers, have I've worked with a couple of those too. They've reached out to me and said, hey, I've seen your, your shooting endeavors, would love to work with you. So for free, I'll train guys to do it with SWAT the only thing is you just have to come to me. Yeah. And, cool. and then when the SWAT guys do come to me f- because it's for free, like we'll train from like nine to 11 or 12 and I'll be like, all right, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> uh, like it's a perfect amount of training for me because I kind of have short attention span. Yeah. So it's like, cause it's not a formal like eight to five engagement. Yeah. I'm able to really give them a lot and be like, all right, I have to go do my CrossFit stuff yeah. now. Yeah. That's awesome. And so we can talk about actually why you're here in town because when this uh, airs, yeah. you guys will have yeah. released it. Uh, if you want to divulge the gouge. So we're moving the CrossFit Games to Fort Worth, Texas, which we're really excited about. They have this arena called Dickey's Arena. It was built in 2019 and um, $800 million arena. It's beautiful, world-class setup, world-class amenities. And um, actually before I was fired in 2021, I toured the venue and we were looking at um, moving the CrossFit Games um, for not 2022 at that point, but it was, I guess it was 2023. And so toured the venue, loved it. Then we toured another venue in uh, Alabama. Also really liked that one, Birmingham. And fast forward, got fired, wasn't around for the 2022 games, came back this year to run the team. And when I got put back in the position, um, we still had a few years left in in Madison and we'd been there for several years. We'd been there for, at this point, I think six years. And so one of the things I did when I was put back in the position of running the games was instantly say, okay, for the sake of just freshness, we kind of need to move. And for, we're gonna change, we're gonna change the format of the CrossFit games. Going to a venue like Dickie's would be perfect. So I had our team look in to see if Dickie's was available for 2024. And Dickie's came back and said, yes, they are. So we, um, we said, let's do it. And so we had to tell Madison who we had an, an additional year with, hey, and I had to tell them like, hey, we want to move it. We're going to do it differently. We're going to have a different footprint. And um, so kind of starting with that new model in a new location makes a lot of sense. And so they were kind of upset, but it's the right thing to do. It's what I really want to do, kind of rotate to different locations, take it to a cool place like this. And so the games just happened two weeks ago maybe two and a half weeks ago, I think. Um, and so our team came out here to kind of get our first, as a team, walkthrough of the venue. I haven't been to the venue since since November of 2021. And so see the venue, see the city, go to the stockyards, stay in downtown, have some, you know, kind of feel it. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's going to be a great location for the games. 95% of the events are going to be inside the arena. <laughs> Which is good because you're going to yes. kill people if they're outside. Because it's, it's air conditioned. Yeah. But um, 
And uh, yes, it is fucking hot here. Yeah, yeah, it's brutal. I mean, I will say it's uh, unusually hot right now. I mean, That's what like, I've heard. Yeah, I've been here 15 years, and this is, I think, the worst summer that I uh, that I remember. But um, any chance to get it at AT and T Stadium? You know, that would be super cool, but there's a scale of like, that's just too big. I gotcha. You know what I mean? Like we can, we can fill out, we can fill out and sell out Dickies at 15,000 people, 14, however we 110,000, but a hundred thousand, we're going to have an empty, (laughs) we're going to have an empty. (laughs) It's going to look like a failure. We could have 20,000 people there, which would be the most we've ever had, but it would still look empty. Uh, you're not going to probably answer this, but what does it cost to rent? Like, how, how does that even work uh, when you rent? Like, do you rent the place out or is it because you're doing concessions and bringing business that like that gets taken into account? Or Yeah, it's it's a little bit of both. Some some of the facilities we rent, sometimes they give you a break <clears throat> on the rent and they'll offset it with just like hotels and stuff. This one, I don't know. I got to I don't know what our arrangement is if I'm allowed to talk about it. So I can't go into the details of this one yet. Yeah. Um, what the arrangement is but it's good like the, there's a sports commission and they really want you to come into their cities and so um it's beneficial it doesn't mean that there's n- not any costs obviously sure. associated but um it's it's a good it's a good arrangement yeah well, that's awesome well when, when it does come here i'd love to attend i've not yeah, been to one so definitely um a couple of uh quick fire questions i know we got to get you out of here uh, fairly soon so i'll try to make them quick uh is there a most athletically gifted athlete that that you think exists within crossfit in your time yeah it's probably rich froning yeah yeah he is uh um one of the biggest crossfit athletes biggest names but he like he really prides himself on doing a lot of other things he plays flag football on a regular basis he was a collegiate baseball player pickleball Um, I don't know if he plays pickleball. Um, I just recently learned how big pickleball is these days. I don't get it. Same here. People, everybody's talking about it. I have a good friend who's uh, on our team. His name's Dave, and he uh, is a a lifelong tennis player, and he fucking hates the pickleball (laughs) scene and the ascendancy of that. But Rich Froning is one of – now, I'm not saying there's not other athletic CrossFitters. There probably are many CrossFit athletes who are more athletic than him, but he's at the highest level. He's won multiple times. He's – in the CrossFit community, a household name of the of the of the high level CrossFitters, and, and of anyone who resonates with me quickly for that question, it's definitely Froning. Yeah, just like from a you know, because in the SEAL teams, like there's those guys that are just the freaks. Yeah, that just can do every fucking thing, and mm-hmm. so he's he's kind of that guy. Even when he he doesn't have a fighting background, but we did a um, he was introduced to some striking stuff at one of our events, and. He just threw naturally. He just did everything. He's super gifted, super athletic. Yeah. Where some of these guys are not naturally gifted yeah. in terms of like that athleticism. Yeah. You could be athleticism. You could be really fit and really tough. But um, and and a lot of our movements, like the clean and jerk and snatch, there is athleticism needed in them. But one year, Greg. So Greg didn't really get involved with the programming at the CrossFit Games, except for a couple times. There was moments where he said, "Do this or do that." And one year he said, hey, I want you guys to have a softball throw <laughs> in the CrossFit Games. And he's like, I want you to do a softball throw with both arms. And so they have to do a strong arm and a weak arm. And I made the call, okay, we will do it. But I didn't tell him, but I didn't make them do the weekend because it was going to be, and it was bad enough with the athletes throwing with their strong arm only. Some guys, some guys, some of the best CrossFitters at the time, Jason Kleep or Chris Spieler, they Can't threw it. They threw it like 15, 20 yards. No way. Yeah, it was, and it was really bad. And so if we would have had them <laughs> do it with their left arm, it was behind them. Yeah, it would have been like it would have the memes and the things that would have came yeah. out of that would have been horrible. But in that, even like. 
Rich threw it maybe like 60, 70 yards. And there's another guy, Spencer yeah. Handel, who's his dad played football for the Dolphins. He threw it like 70 yards. Yeah. So there's some very athletic people, and there also wasn't. Yeah. Well, I'm fascinated by the fact that it seems like in, in you know, the last, I mean, m- most of the time that it's been as big as it has been, is that there's multi-year winners. It's like, what? why is there... Like a guy wins and he wins three, four, five times in a fucking row, and then the next guy does it. Is, is do you have a, a yeah. philosophy as to why that's so? The case? You know, people will always people criticize and say, "Hey, um, how someone does at the games um, depends on the programming that comes out." And I will contend that argument is only for those who are not the fittest and the most well-rounded. And what I mean when you look at someone like Rich Froning or Matt Frazier or Tia Claire Toomey. Those guys over several years won every event that they competed in, and it didn't matter what came out in terms of the programming. They are the essence of what the best CrossFitter in the world should be. Yeah. Year after year, in their peak period, they would win no matter what was presented to them in a, in a fair and balanced world of like a CrossFit test, yeah. in like a, an appropriate CrossFit test. Um, they are not the norm. Yeah. And but they are what should be. They are what the champion and they are the champion should be. They are someone who has longevity and someone year after year, regardless of the test, comes out at the top. That there are people like that, I think speaks volumes to this notion of the fittest alive truly being the fittest around. Cause yeah. they've proven it not over a single event, but over multiple years. Yeah. So the right person is winning it in your absolutely career. for sure. Is there a worst injury that you've ever witnessed? Yeah. So two years ago, twenty twenty one, good friend Brooke Wells. She was um, she's a big athlete in the community, loved by the fans. Um, she, I'll, I'll never forget this. We we had it set up on the floor where we were doing um, one rep max snatch, and we had one platform in the center of the arena, and every eyeball is watching everyone's paying attention to just one person lifting at a time and she does a snatch and just remember her arm buckling and it going down and she she just like looks at it screams and goes down and i happened to be standing next to the orthopedic surgeon at the time and i grabbed him and i said hey get over there jump over the wall and get over there and sure as shit she fucking snapped her elbow man yeah Brutal. It uh, was brutal. It was horrible to see. Yeah, I can imagine. You probably heard it. Yeah, and then when she came through the the alleyway or the tunnel to get off, just screaming. Has just, she? Yeah. she and she's recovered, and she made it to the games a year and a half later. She made it last year to the games a year after the injury. Wow. Totally recovered. I don't know if she can still snatch as heavy. I haven't asked her. Yeah. But um, and wild. someone like she's probably snatching two hundred pounds. Oh wow. Two ten. Uh, is there a most impressive feat of strength and a most impressive feat of conditioning that stand out? Most impressive feat of strength. So, um, I think when I first, when, when I first started seeing these guys, you know, in the early days of the games, 2008 and nine, when we'd have one rep max snatches, people would get like 245, 255. Now seeing that you need 300 to even be like, uh, competitive. competitive with the rest of the field. 300 is more than norm than not. That might not be true. The average might be 290. But if you want to excel, you need to hit 300. So it's my most impressive thing around strength is the collective nature of the progression of where it is now. To see in like a decade earlier, 245 was the winning snatch to now like everybody's snatching 
290 or something like that. That's been cool to see how as a community and as a society of these, call it fittest people, this fittest um, creature that we've created, it's all, it's all leveling up. I don't think in 10 years, I'm going to say it's like now 345. Yeah. I think the gains now yeah. are going to be much more increments, like yeah. smaller. But, um, but having seen that gap and seeing how that on the endurance side, I'll tell you what, there's a handful of events that we will do where they are all gender, all 40 men and all 40 women usually runs, sometimes run, swim, runs. I've done run, swim, run at the games a yeah. couple of times. Where do you think Team that came shit. from? Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, run, swim, runs, some, um, swims paddle boards some of the coolest things i've seen is when the females beat like everyone and i think um tia claire Toomey and uh who's the other lady i'm thinking about there's been events where they've taken like second or third overall like one guy beat them i think there might have been a couple where tia won it regardless male and female and that's pretty cool to see that just like um some of these females and some of the endurance things where the test is exactly the same are beating 99% of the guys, or in some cases, I can't, I can't remember that's verified though. Everyone. Yeah. Um, is there a fire in the gut story that stands out like, uh, one, one event or, or person that you saw that you were like, yeah, it's my, in, in your collective time. Yep, of- yep. I'm trying, that's a great question. Um, there's been a lot of stuff like uh, athletes who fight through regardless of, you, you know, it's interesting because oftentimes a fire in the gut moments in CrossFit are super fan um, friendly and significant, but they're a, um, it's not the moment the athlete wants to be in. And what I mean is like, <laughs> so the athlete fighting through, it usually means like all nine, call it, uh, we have a heat of 10, all other the nine other athletes come up and start rallying behind. And, but if you're in that position, you don't want to be in it. You don't want to be yeah. in that position. So there's a lot of those <laughs> moments where everyone's cheering on the yeah. person to come through and actually, okay, I'll tell you a fire and gut, a fire in the gut moment this year. Uh, we had the guy who was poised to win the CrossFit games. His name was Roman Krennikov. He's a Russian athlete. And, uh, he was pretty much running away with it. Like he, he was winning a lot of events and he had enough points. He broke his foot on an event on the last day. And then the next event he came out onto the floor and they actually, before he even came out on the floor, the doctors were like, all right, they didn't, no one knew at this time what the events were and or what the final, what that next event was. And they're like, Hey, there's a lot he can do, but he can't jump. So if the, if the workout has double unders, you know, he, he won't be able to do that. And I'm like, the workout has double unders, a lot of double unders, like hundreds of double unders. They're like, Oh, so he came out on the floor and in a, in a boot with one leg, actually he didn't have a boot, but with a brace and with one leg or a wrap on one leg, he was fighting through and doing double unders. And um, the crowd loved it. The crowd was going crazy and he might've even been in tears, but like, so the time cap, everyone was finished with the workout and he kept fighting through and doing one legged double unders to, um, to finish. And he did finish. He didn't finish, but he hit the time cap. Yeah. But it was still a moment where he was fighting Trying. through. So uh, all these workouts have what we call a time cap. So for logistics and for the flow of it, um, that workout, like the fastest guys, I think would finish in eight or, eight or nine minutes. But the time cap's like 15 minutes. And so everyone would finish, but 
since he couldn't finish, he just fought for the entire 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's impressive. Uh, has anyone died uh, during <laughs> the games? No, nobody. Um, and I hope nobody does. Yeah, well, yeah, you yeah. Do you guys steroid test? <laughs> yeah, we do. And uh, boy, that's a fucking can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> a few years ago, we had the second place guy. Um, he popped. Uh, he's from Australia. Ricky Gerard. I really like the guy. He's super fit. Um, he had a four-year suspension. And so he came back from it last year. And I think he took second last year and um, was supposed to come back this year, but he broke his, uh, or he injured himself mountain biking. Hardcore, tough Australian kid, really um, like a, he's not a bad boy, but kind of has like a tough guy ambiance about him. And so he, uh, he, he, he was um, the first podium person we had who popped at yeah. that level. Can you say what he popped for? It was like a list of things. Oh, okay. Like it Fucking was like cocktail. the whole thing, like all of it. Yeah. And so um, we've had other age group athletes. Seems like the age group athletes on a regular basis. So we have 35 to 39, 40 to 44. We have some older divisions. Um, there's a lot of them that compete. So a lot of them that compete at the games. Seems like more often we've had people pop there and or in the team divisions. So we have a team division where uh, teams of four and um usually on the individual side it's not as prevalent uh, as on the uh, those others we also don't test the entire field at every stage i do think if we were to test the entire field the results might be a little different <laughs> so um, is it lottery like it just maybe will no be? we'll test the winners oh i got you yeah yeah like top five usually or there's a set number huh. and so um I wish we could test more. Yeah. And, and, you know, even with the winners, people have said, Hey, well, there's designer stuff, there's cycling. And like there, a lot of these guys like Froning and even Frazier and some of these guys we have on year round testing protocols where unannounced, they will, we will have testers show up and testing. So some of these guys, a lot of these guys, I, I no doubt that they're clean. And then, but I'm also not naive enough to say that it's probably not more common and prevalent than we think yeah. amongst just the entirety of the field and competitors in general. Especially um, like, I didn't mean to cut no, you off. go ahead. Well, like, uh, you know, the uh, Tour de France, you know, like EPO, like you, are you guys yep. testing for shit like that? Like the blood doping stuff? Uh, it depends. Okay. There's different levels. Because I, I know those guys are wizards at yep. at making it not show up, you know, but they're fucking all on it, but they, and they yep. get tested right away, and they still, you know, I don't know how. I mean, at this point, the games are big enough to where I wouldn't be surprised, right, if, if guys were putting that amount of effort into. Well, and then anywhere, anything where there's a lot of money involved. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. And at this point, like, I think for the top athletes, the money isn't even at the game. So the money, you can win 300000 which is not insignificant, obviously. But some of these guys, some of the biggest names are able to get pretty good sponsorship deals with, yeah. some, of the, with some of the people out there. Endorsements and products. Yep. And whatever, yeah. Uh, what question have I not asked you? Or, or what, what's a question that nobody has ever asked you that, uh, that they should have? That's, that's a great question. Um, what's a question that nobody's ever asked me that they should have or what have you not asked me let me think or is there anything i've asked you that nobody else has <laughs> that can't be that can't be a thing right no you you've you know what's funny is like so i don't do actually a lot of podcasts i kind of just um there's so many now right yeah. and even in the crossfit space like especially the crossfit podcast i kind of try to stay away from 
um, just because I feel like those to me feel all the same and the same type of questions. So people like you, people like Jocko, obviously Jocko, because he's so big, like I'll do these because it's outside of like yeah. the, the ecosystem. Yeah. And, and I feel like outside of the there, outside of our own little bubble, I, I will get asked, I get asked better questions. Yeah. Like some of the stuff you asked me about Greg and the, um, and the firing phase, like, I don't feel like I get pressed too much on that, but I also push back on and don't answer. Yeah. But, um, no, I can't think, I can't think of anything. Yeah. I've enjoyed it though. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I know, uh, we got to get you back on a plane here. Uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time, man. It's been fascinating. I feel like I could, I could pepper you with questions all fucking day, but, uh, thank you for coming. Um, Again, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire on uh, when the games come in. Yeah, next, for sure. Uh, I want to have you there. And, and in the same token, uh, I don't know if, if uh, the process for getting a, a canine hero wad, like a generic one, uh, March 13th is Canine Veterans Day. I don't know if that's oh, wow. if that's a possibility. Like yeah, within, let's, let's make something happen. Figured I'd do it on air that way. You yeah. can't, can't <laughs> sneak out of it. No, I'm just fucking with you. Uh, no, thank you for coming, man. Any, anything you want to bring up before? Uh, no, I do have a parting gift. Awesome. No, I appreciate the time. This was a lot of fun. I know, I know you're in California. This is actually where, where these came from. One is, uh, is a challenge coin. with Oh, awesome. But the other one is uh, something which may, maybe it's your style, oh, maybe not. Yeah, but, no, no, uh, no, thank you. Yeah, Very so cool. uh, Champion Choice Silver and, uh, and John Johnson out in California, the, they, they provide those for all the guests. So uh, Super cool. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Yeah, and if, uh, for those of you listening, I hope you enjoyed it. It's been, uh, been a neat insight into the CrossFit uh, culture and, and world one that uh, a lot of people are fascinated by myself included i hope you enjoyed it if you didn't feel free to choke yourself and until next time <laughs> this is mike drop Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.